Let's read the scripture first and then pray the scripture on your bulletin from Psalm 107. May we read it in unison and hear what God is saying to us and what we are saying to him. Let's say it together. Oh, thank God. He's so good. His love never runs out. All of you set free by God, tell the world. Tell how he freed you from oppression, then rounded you up from all over the place. Isn't that great? Let's join hands and thank him for his wonderful blessings to us. Lord, we thank you that you have come unconditionally to bless us. Because if your love were conditional, none of us could receive it. For not one of us is perfect. Not one of us has lived up to our own expectations of ourselves, let alone your expectations. So we thank you, Father, that you come to forgive us. And not only to forgive us, but to instill within us your spirit to help us be more that, of that what you want us to be. And be more what we want to be. To do more of what we can do to bring honor and glory to your name and peace to one another. Bless this service. Bless every person here. May your presence be intimately felt in each and every heart here today. Be nearer to us than you are, namely through your presence. May we realize that you're closer to us than our heartbeat, more a part of us than our breathing. And so fill us today with your breath, your spirit, your pneuma, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God for this is our prayer in your son's name. Amen. Philip Yancey's newest book, What's So Amazing About Grace, is truly an amazing book, which I heartily recommend. And in that book, he tells the story of George Wilson. And I want to share George Wilson's story with you briefly this morning. George Wilson uh, lived in Ireland, lived in a little village about uh, eight miles west of Belfast. And uh, on the day in 1987, they were uh, commemorating a day of remembrance for the war dead, like Veterans Day, which we do here uh, in America. The IRA had, pl had placed a bomb there, and the bomb exploded in the middle of that rally. Eleven people were killed, and 63 were wounded. George Wilson and his 23-year-old daughter, Marie, were there together and were buried beneath the rubble for hours and hours before they were finally extricated. But not before Marie, holding her father's hand there beneath those concrete blocks and those timbers, said, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were the last words she ever said. George survived. George Wilson survived. From his hospital bed made this statement. I have lost my daughter, but I have no grudge. For I realize that bitter talk will not bring her back. I forgive those who did it. And I pray that they will ask God to forgive themselves. When he was released from the hospital, he spent the rest of his life 
as a reconciling agent working to try to bring about peace in Ireland. He met with the leaders of the IRA, the people who had planned and planted the bomb. Because of his work in reconciliation, he was made a member of the Irish Senate. He died in 1995, two years ago. And when he did, the leadership of the IRA, the Irish Republic, Northern Ireland, and all of Great Britain honored this man. For this was his theme. He kept saying over and over and over again, love is the bottom line. Love is the bottom line. Love is the bottom line. And there will be no cessation of this cycle of violence until we forgive. Until we forgive. It will continue as the problem in Ireland has continued to, since 1641. A bomb was set and retaliation was made back and forth, back and forth, bomb after bomb. The same thing is happening in Yugoslavia. The same thing is happening in the Middle East. The same thing is happening in a lot of our relationships. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And if we continue operating on that principle, we're soon to have a sightless, toothless world. I remember when Mike and Steve were little boys and they'd sit in the back seat and they'd get to pushing one another and arguing a little bit. And uh, maybe you've had to do the same thing. I would intervene. I'd say to you boys, straighten up and you stop it. Mike would say, Steve started it. No, Steve said, Mike started it. He hit me first. No, he hit me first. I said, I don't care who hit first. You all stay away from each other. Don't touch each other. There's a line down the middle of that back seat. Don't you cross it. Pretty soon one of them would yell, he crossed it. And you could, if you'd look around, you'd see that they'd take their fingers and kind of walk out there just in tight. Did your kids do that? No, I know you didn't. Just only preacher's kids do that sort of thing. No, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You started it and I'm going to stop it. No, when I try to stop it, I just accelerate it. What is the answer to this? Well, let's go back to the beginning. We've got to start at the beginning and the beginning is man's sin. Begins with the problem of man's sin, man's pride, man's ego, man's desire to have his way, man's desire to have his last word rather than listen to God's last word. And along with that realization of sin, we need to recognize the fact that God has a loving call of repentance to each of us and a loving call to all of us to accept forgiveness, to accept his forgiveness. All of us have sinned. As I've said often, we've not all sinned alike, but all alike have sinned. If you look in the New Testament, seriously to study it at all, there are four different words that in English are translated sin. They're not that in English. There are four different Greek words that give a little different shade of meaning 
uh, to sin. Sometimes people, they know, we know that murderers are sinners and we know that rapists are sinners and that molesters are sinners. But we think we respectable, more intelligent, uh, civilized people that we just don't sin like that. Look, friends, face it, all of us sin in one way or another and have done so and will continue to do so. Part and parcel of being a human being. One of the major words used is the Greek word hamartia, hamartia, which means literally to miss the mark. Means if someone were throwing a spear and they didn't hit the target right in the bullseye, they missed it a little to the right or to the left. Or someone is shooting a rifle like I've done thousands and thousands of times at a target and you would miss it a little to the right or a little to the left. You wouldn't hit that bullseye all the time. But if you missed the mark, if you missed it just a quarter of an inch, if it was just outside the bullseye a quarter of an inch, you missed the mark. That's hamartia, you missed the mark. What does that mean to us? Do any of us live up to the expectations that God has placed upon us? Do any of us live up to our own expectations? Have any of us lived a day which we can say, I live this day fully, totally, unselfishly, and lovingly for God? Hamartia. Parabasis is another Greek word that's translated sin in the, in the English New Testament. And, and it really means to step across. To step across. It means, in fact, in English, in the English translation, it will often be translated as transgressions. You understand that word? No trespassing. Well, that's what parabasis means. It means to step across. Here's a line and I'm not supposed to step across it and I step across it. Knowing to do good, we choose to do evil. Knowing to do right, we do wrong. We balance those things in our minds and we say, well, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's, you know, no big deal. And we step over that line. Parabasis, that's a sin. There's a word that's similar to it, para. Toma, which means to slip across. Not intentionally to do it, but we get caught up in a set of circumstances or we temporarily lose some control and we say things that we wish we hadn't said or we, in a weak moment, do something we wish we hadn't done, look back upon with regret, but we didn't do it with malice and the forethought. We didn't do it intentionally. We slipped across and say, oh, I regret that. I wish it hadn't happened. Well, we sinned in doing that. Then there's another word, anomia, a Greek word, which means even, it's more flagrant than any of the others. It means to, it really means lawlessness. It means to intentionally hurt other people, to get a sadistic satisfaction out of intentionally putting someone down. This lawless spirit. Oh, and though we go along, we hear people say, well, I, I keep the Ten Commandments. Do you always want to keep the Ten Commandments? Have you ever wished there were not ten, maybe only eight or seven? And have you listened to Jesus' interpretation of the Ten Commandments? He goes down beneath the surface of our external behavior. He reaches down there in the level of our own desires and thoughts and secret hopes. Down there beneath the level of our external respectability. If you hate your brother, you're a murderer. The Bible says it. 
whoever hates his brother is a murderer. You may never pull a trigger, but in God's sight, you've broken that basic commandment. You ever lusted? Maybe never committed the overt act of adultery. Have you ever wanted to? Have you fantasized about doing it? The only thing that kept you from doing it was the lack of opportunity? Did you ever covet anything? Well, then you've broken the commandment, thou shalt not steal. The only reason you didn't take it, you wanted it, you coveted it, you desired it, you didn't do it because of the fear of others knowing. You want to know what we really are? It's what we are when we are alone in the dark. All have sinned. All of us. Now Jesus does not awaken this guilt within us for the purpose of condemning us. Please hear this. Jesus does not convict us, does not awaken us to the reality of our own sin to condemn us and to put us down and to judge us. He awakens us so as to forgive us. Not to condemn us, but to save us from our sins and from ourselves. Listen to those great verses of scripture we often quote and don't quote enough of it. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Forgiven loves the bottom line. Love is the bottom line. God does not convict us Make us aware of our sins to condemn us and to put us in a pit. As the testimony so beautifully stated a moment ago, he is there to forgive us and to lift us out of that pit and put our feet on the solid rock. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. The first point of this two-point message is this. All of us have sinned, but we have heard or can hear God's call to total Forgiveness. Whosoever will may come. Come to me, Jesus said. All you who are burdened, burdened with guilt, burdened with fear, burdened with things you've thought, burdened with things you've done, come to me, all of you, with all of your burdens and cast them upon me. I will take them. Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you peace, I'll give you rest, I'll give you forgiveness. Pour the cool water of forgiveness upon your parched spirit. Now he's not through. God's call to accept forgiveness when we do is inevitably followed by God's command to forgive one another. Let me read you what we read just a little while ago. And then pray together the Lord's Prayer. Pray along these lines. Jesus said, I'm reading 
from the Living Bible. Our Father in heaven, we honor your holy name. We ask that your kingdom will come soon. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us our food again today as usual. Here we come. Get ready. And forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Dr. Charles Williams, an outstanding biblical scholar, in fact, a man who wrote a very nice and fine, impressive interpretation or translation of the New Testament. Charles Williams says that the most terrifying word in the entire New Testament is that little monosyllabic two-letter word right in the middle of that sentence, A-S. And forgive us our sins just as we forgive. What if he forgives like we forgive? Just as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And then in the 14th and 15th verses, immediately following this, listen to what he says. Your heavenly Father will forgive you if there's another monosyllabic two-letter word that'll blow us right out of the tub of our self-satisfaction. Your heavenly Father will forgive you if you forgive those who have sinned against you. But if you refuse to forgive them, he will not forgive you. Jesus says, I have forgiven you. I've taken away all of your sin, your sins of omission, your sins of commission, sins that you weren't even aware of, maybe sins that you've not even been conscious of yet. I've taken away all the stuff in your life. I've forgiven you of all of your sins, known and unknown, confessed and unconfessed. I've forgiven you of all of your sins and I put my love and my grace in you and I've washed away all of your sins. Now because my spirit is coming you, in you, in your life, in your spirit, I want you to let it flow out through you and I want you to love like I love and I want you to serve like I serve and I want you to forgive like I forgive because you're not your own, you're mine and my spirit's gonna flow through you and if you quench my spirit, as the Bible says, if you grieve my spirit, if you stop that flow of my love through you to other people, this grace that I have forgiven you will stagnate. And it's not that God's keeping books and say, okay, you forgave one now, I'll forgive another. It's that if we don't forgive, we stop the continuing flow of God's spirit that's flowing through us constantly forgiving us of our sins. And that's the one reason that a lot of Christians are miserable and unhappy is because they are not letting God's grace and love and forgiveness flow through them to other people. They bottle up the spirit within them and it becomes stagnant. They've quenched the spirit. We grieve the spirit. You remember Uncle Tom's cabin, Harriet Beecher Stowe? Person says, Don't the Bible say we must love everybody? He answers, Oh, the Bible. To be sure, it says a great many things. But then, Nobody ever thinks of doing them. 
we don't forgive, we don't let God's forgiveness flow through us. We bottle up his spirit within us. We stagnate the work of the spirit of God within us. And it will pollute our lives and it will pollute the springs that flow into other people's lives around us. You say, Buckner, how can you do that? How do you do that? I don't do that. And I can't do that. It's impossible to do that. It's not natural to do that. It's not normal to do that. My emotions won't let me do that. My sense of justice won't let me do that. My desire to make things even won't do that. I can't do it. It's not natural. You're right. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It can only be done when we let God's spirit control us. We say, I detest what happens. It breaks my heart what I did or what I did to someone else or what they did to me. But bitter talk will not bring Marie back. Bitter talk will not bring peace back into your heart or into mine. It is totally impossible Except when we say, God, I can't do this. It's not normal for me to do it. It's not natural for me to do it. It's not possible for Buckner Fanning to do this. And so, Lord, I'm not going to consult my emotions. I'm not going to consult justice. I'm going to consult your spirit. I'm going to say, God, for your sake, I'm going to tell my will, which is the strongest part of my personality. I'm going to say, God, with your help, I will forgive I will forgive. I don't feel like doing it. I may not want to do it. But I will choose by God's grace to do that. That's difficult. I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult. Now when we do that, what happens? Well, the word forgiveness means literally, the word forgiveness literally means to release, to set free. That's what the word means. Forgiveness means to set free, to release. Now, if I were to do, if I were ever forced to do what I heard Adolf Coors say just a few days ago when I was with him, heard him in a meeting. Adolf Coors' father, Adolf Coors' grandfather established the Coors Brewery. His father was president, making millions of dollars. When Adolf Coors was 14 years old in their beautiful home outside of Denver, his father was going into the office to work. He was hijacked, killed, stuffed in the trunk of a car. And Adolf Coors, great love, his father was gone, killed, murdered, 
They later found his body and they later found the man that killed him. Adolf Coors later became a Christian through a series of remarkable things in his own life. He became a Christian. They arrested the man. They tried the man. They convicted the man. They put the man in prison who had killed his father. He said the most difficult thing I ever did was to go with Chuck Colson and to walk into that prison to look into the face of the man who had killed my idol, my father, and say, for Jesus' sake, I forgive you. And he said, a burden rolled away from my life. Now listen, forgiveness didn't set that prisoner free. He still had to pay the penalty of his crime against mankind. Forgiveness doesn't set the other person free. It sets you free. It liberates you from the burden of that hate. That anger. Let's take Jesus seriously again. In spite of what the person said in Uncle Tom's cabin. Peter came to him and asked in the 18th chapter of Matthew, Sir, how often should I forgive a brother who sins against me? Seven times? That's sort of the number of completion. Seven? No, Jesus replied, 70 times seven. In other words, an infinite number. Then he says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him $10 million. He couldn't pay, so the king ordered him sold for the debt, also his wife and children and everything he had. But the man fell down before the king, his face in the dust, and said, Oh, sir, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then the king was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a man who owed him $2,000. Not $10 million, $2,000. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Same words, the man fell down before him and begged him to give him a little time. Be patient and I will pay it, he pled. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and jailed until the debt would be paid in full. Then the man's friends went to the king and told him what had happened. And the king called before called him before him, the man he had forgiven and said, you evil-hearted wretch. Here I forgave you all that tremendous debt just because you asked me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on others just as I had mercy on you? And the angry king sent the man to the torture chamber until he had paid every last penny due. And so shall my heavenly father do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers. Torture chamber? I tell you what torture chamber is. It's living with hatred and bitterness. Anger. A get even spirit. Forgive one another as I have forgiven you. Set you free. Is there anybody you need to call maybe today, talk to, or write? 
and say, I'm going to override my feelings and I'm going to override what I think was an injustice done to me. I'm going to put all that aside and I'm going to do what Jesus said. I'm going to exercise my will directed by God's spirit because I can't do it myself. It's impossible for Buckner Fanning in the strength of his flesh and in the resolve of his own intentions to do it apart from the presence of the spirit of God within us to do it. To say, I forgive you. And I'm released. Jesus said. This was given to me this morning, and it is so magnificent, I want to share it with you. Wonderful young woman who joined our church not long ago. When you talk to her, you'd love to hear her talk. She's in this room right now. She has a wonderful German accent. Mary Ann Puff, where are you, Mary Ann? I know you are here unless you went to Sunday school and then coming to church. There she is. Okay. I want you to look at, uh, at Mary Ann. And uh, Mary Ann brought me this little gift from Berlin. It's a, it's a portion of the wall that was torn down and some of the barbed wire. I stood at Checkpoint Charlie. I walked through there two or three times. Went into East Berlin on, on occasions back long before the wall came down. But the wall came down about eight years ago today, this very day. November the 9th, 1989. November the 9th, 1997. Eight years. She gave that to me. And with it, she gave me this note. To Pastor Buckner Fanning. Quote, We are constantly tearing down walls that people construct around us. November the 9th, 1989, the wall came down. Because of this, I am here and able to experience and enjoy Trinity. She lived over 30 years behind that wall. She was set free, released. The wall came tumbling down. And so will mine. And so will yours if you forgive one another. For love is the bottom line. During this invitation, maybe you'd like to come and just kneel here. Not say a word to me. You can if you desire to. You just come and kneel and make some things right with God. And then maybe get up and go make some things right with people. Maybe in this room. Maybe at this very moment. Maybe in Sunday school. Maybe in a private conversation this afternoon. Forgiveness will set you free. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. As. Do it. But stand and sing. If you'd come to trust Christ as your Savior, I'll be here to greet you. If you come to join this church, to become a part of this fellowship, I'm here to greet you. If you want to come for rededication, say a word or not say a word, go back to your seat, come for prayer. Whatever God impresses you to do, whatever His Spirit is motivating you to do, I urge you to do it right now.